all of chapter 2 today. We have no time. Today we're going to look at top schools, education. What's the best education for your money? And I, when I came to you, Paul said, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech of wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Christ and him crucified. So like I said, this is kind of a recap of what he said last week. Last week, he told us that the gospel is foolishness. And he says, so we do not speak wisdom, and I do not proclaim wisdom, and it's not about rhetoric or lofty speech or trying to convince anyone. It's about the simple, child-worthy message of the cross, which is that God first loved the world, that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. It's as simple as that. And so Paul said, my favorite verse in the whole Bible, Paul says, I preach nothing but Christ and him crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Gentiles foolishness. It's foolishness. It's all I preach. And I mentioned to you guys last week, for the rest of your life, Wherever you go, whatever you do, wherever you find yourself in a worship service, in a Bible study, um, listening to someone on the radio or on TV, if it is not saturated with Jesus, then it is, it is worthless. Um, Spurgeon said, you preacher who preaches a message without Christ, it's like, it's like serving bread without flour. He said, preach Jesus or go home, essentially, to all pastors. It's all about Jesus. I made it my life goal when I went into ministry to only preach Jesus, and I hope that you've noticed that here, that, that every sermon, which is why we do communion, one of the reasons why we do communion every week, because it forces me as the preacher to say, how can I take this message and bring it back to the bread and to the wine? Because it is about Jesus. Everything's about Jesus. And I mentioned last week, we can talk about debt, we can talk about divorce, we can talk about parenting, we can talk about marriage, we can talk about all those things, and they're useless unless we connect it all to Jesus. Did I say that last week? I don't remember if I said that last week. Did I? I did. Okay, good. So if it's connected to Jesus, it makes perfect sense. If it's not connected to Jesus, it makes some sense, but it's not, it's not, it doesn't, there's no power in it. There's no power. And so Paul says, I preach nothing but Christ crucified. And today, in chapter 2, verse 1, he even goes far to say is that his life there, in his life, in his living, so, so, so much for preaching. We covered that last week. Now he's saying, even in my living amongst you, I wanted to know nothing but Christ and him crucified. I wanted to see Jesus crucified in our relationships, in our service to the, other, you know, to the non-Christians in our area. I wanted to see Jesus crucified in all that we did. It's awesome. And so he even says this, and I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Interesting little passage there. Paul is saying that um, when he came to Corinth, you know, if you read Acts chapter 18, I believe it's 18, Paul actually tells God, I'm out of here. <laughs> When he's planting this church in Corinth, he's like, I'm leaving this place. These people are screwed up. They're messed up. These are the worst people I've ever met in my life. It's like going, where could be the worst place that you could imagine going? Like San Francisco or something? Where would be the worst place? Las Vegas? Okay, Las Vegas, in the heart of Las Vegas on a Thursday night or something. Um, and Paul was there planting this church, and these people were jacked up. They had all kinds of weird beliefs. I mentioned some of the highlights. They're sleeping with each other's. Mother-in-law, they're suing one another, they're getting drunk at church. <laughs> Paul's saying, this is ridiculous. And he says, I'm leaving. And the Holy Spirit says, no, no, no. I need you to stay. I need you to stay. And so Paul said, I was with you in weakness and in fear and trembling. I didn't, I didn't feel comfortable with you guys. I wasn't carrying myself like I'm some scholar or some perfect person. I carried myself in much fear and trembling. Um, there's a story about Billy Graham 
he uh, was invited to Oxford, England to speak to Oxford at a chapel service. And he had a friend there in Oxford by the name of C.S. Lewis. And he had lunch with Mr. Lewis. And he told him, he confided in him, I'm scared to death to preach to these. Oxford is like the smartest of the smart. You know, it's like Cambridge and Harvard. And Billy Graham, you know, southern boy from South Carolina or North Carolina. I can't I get those two. And he said, I'm just nervous to preach to these smart people. And C.S. Lewis said, can I just tell you that they are sinners and they need Jesus and you need to preach Christ and him crucified to those people. It doesn't matter how smart they are. Lewis says they're smart, but they're still messed up and they still need Jesus. Believe me, I know. I'm one of those smart guys. I'm a professor at Oxford and I'm messed up and I need Jesus. So just preach the gospel. And that's what Billy Graham was good at, isn't it? His message is very simple, just, you know, Jesus loves you, died for you, no sin is too, too big for him. Anyway, so Paul's here, he's saying, I'm in much fear and trembling, and he only preached Christ crucified. And my speech and my message were not with plausible words of wisdom, I was not speaking, you know, intellectually, you didn't hear the word ontological truth coming out of my mouth, but in demonstration of the spirit and power. I love this. He says, I didn't come speaking. Words are cheap, aren't they? You guys know that by now in your life? talk is cheap. He says, I I didn't come speaking all this beautiful speak. What I did was I demonstrated with my life the spirit and power. That's pretty powerful. In fact, in the Bible, in this kind of a context, you always see those two words together, spirit and power. Have you ever noticed that? I'll just give you a couple examples. In Romans, for instance, chapter 15, it says, For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience. That sounds similar to what he just said, by word and deed. By the power and signs of wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God. This demonstration of the Spirit and power. In 1 Thessalonians, he says, But also in power in the Holy Spirit, because your gospel came to you not in word, but in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction, you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. Okay, I just want to just take a little pause here for a second. Asila. Do you know that when you have the Spirit inside of you, you have something in you that you can demonstrate to the world, which is spirit and power. Paul says, my, my, my ministry amongst you was in fear and trembling. I was not all that great of a guy, you know, by, by the worldly terms, but my life was, I demonstrated the Holy Spirit within me by the power that was within me. The gospel is powerful, is it not? I mean, the, the gospel is powerful. We talked about this last week. Your marriage is, is, is held together because Christ is going to marry the church. <laughs> and so our marriage is a reflection of that marriage. Without the gospel, we don't even understand marriage. Our money, our resources are used for God. Without the gospel, we don't even understand what money is for. And I could go on and on and on. There's power. And you have a different life if you are filled with the Spirit and you have that power. Here, here's a question you might want to ask yourself. Am I trusting the gospel Do I trust the gospel, and is the power of the gospel being demonstrated in my life? If you trust the gospel, foolish that it is, the power of that spirit and that gospel will be demonstrated in your life. Someone say amen if that's true. I'll give you some examples. Let's say you're at work and you get offered a promotion, but you don't take it because you don't think it would be morally right, or you don't feel like that's where the Lord is leading you. Your coworkers will think you're foolish, won't they? And when you explain to them why you didn't, they would be, there would be a demonstration of the spirit and power within you. Does that make sense? 
Um, you, your, your marriage is on the rocks, but you fight for it, and you, and you don't get a divorce, and you, and you win in the end. Eventually, your neighbors, your friends, your coworkers are going to say, wow, look at that. You know what I mean? I saw this great journey you traveled in order to maintain your strong convictions that you should stay together. And how did you do that? Well, let me explain to you why. Because Jesus is going to marry me. And Jesus, you know, you, you get to preach the gospel by the demonstration of the power of it in your life. Parenting. Oh, man, don't even get me started, right? You demonstrate the power of the gospel every day with those kids, don't you? You forgive them all the time. So raise your hand if you feel like you are trusting in the gospel and you're demonstrating the power of it in your life. Good, good, good. What I want us as Missio Day Church to get is very comfortable and very almost, um, without even thinking about it, communicating the gospel in everyday rhythms of life. Hey, you're struggling with this? You have fear right now? Let me explain to you why you shouldn't have fear. Because, and then you just preach the gospel. Because God overcame all fear, all troubles, and sent his son to die on the cross for your sins. And so that you would not be little, so that you would not be shamed. There is nothing that can separate you from God. You have power within you. And you just kind of, you know, you see what I'm saying? Easy ways to just present the gospel. And that wasn't even the best way. I would have done it better had I had a little chance to prepare that one. Does that make sense? Amen. Amen. Okay, so we're going to keep going. Um, <clears throat> we'll look at the rest of the chapter 2, and, and it's going to be easily broken up into three sections, so I'm going to go ahead and tell you those three sections now. The first section is going to be, we do have wisdom. Even though the gospel is foolishness and not according to the wisdom of the world, Paul's going to correct his course a little bit and say, but we do have wisdom, and it's a hidden kind of wisdom. Um, this is not a fool's religion. This is not a stupid person's religion. We do have wisdom, but it's a hidden wisdom. And then he's going to tell us, but that wisdom has been revealed to us. And then he's going to say, and because we have it, we preach it, we proclaim it, we speak it to those around us. Does that make sense? Hidden wisdom, revealed wisdom, preached wisdom. Let's do it. Verse 6. Yet among the mature we do speak wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we speak a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages, for our glory. So Paul says we do have wisdom. Even though the gospel is foolishness, and we're not, about, we're not in love with wisdom. We're not in lo- um, philosophy is the love of wisdom. Philo, love, Sophia, wisdom. We're not philosophical people, but we do have wisdom. And the wisdom is a hidden wisdom. Paul says our wisdom is not like the wisdom of this age because the rulers of this age are doomed to pass away. Another way of saying that is all the isms will one day be wasms. Does that make sense? Stoicism, imperialism, Epicureanism, capitalism, they'll all be wasms one of these days. But God's wisdom will not. Let's see what it is. We speak a secret. That word is mysterion, a mystery. We speak a mysterious and a hidden wisdom of God. That word hidden in Greek is the word kruptos or, or crypt. If you think of a crypt, for instance, you know what a crypt is? It's a tomb. It's um, a dark, black, blank tomb. It's death. What Paul is saying here is that the wisdom that we have of God, God's wisdom, is a mystery and it's hidden like a dark tomb. The, the, the philosophers can't go there. It's beyond the grave. The way one scholar said it is, Christianity essentially is tales from the crypt. (laughs) It's tales from the other side. And no one can go there. No one can go there on their own. No one can get it. No one can find, no one can come back with the information for us. 
Um, we see this all the time in the Bible. <clears throat> Isaiah 40, for instance, says, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of God's hand? And who has marked off the heavens with a span? Who has measured the Spirit of the Lord? And what man shows God his counsel? We don't know God. We cannot know God. God is hidden from us, is he not? There are things we know about God, sure, because he's revealed those things to us. But there's so much about God we don't know. We cannot know the mind of God. It's a crypt. It's, a, it's, it's beyond the grave. It's hidden. I like this quote here from, I don't know if you guys remember this, from Donald Rumsfeld. He says, there are known knowns. These are the things that we know that we know. And there are known unknowns. That is to say, there are things that we know we don't know. But there are also unknown unknowns, meaning there are things we don't know that we don't know. That's the way it is about God. There are things about God that we know. We know that we know these things because he revealed them to us. But there's things that we know that we don't know. There are things about God we know we don't know. The Bible says we don't know these things. But then there are still yet things that we don't know that we don't know. So God is tales from the crypt. Christianity is tales from the crypt. We can't know him. We don't know him. But we do have this wisdom. And here it is. It's a hidden wisdom of God. By the way, the word wisdom of God, unfortunately, is, is a mistake in your Bible. It shouldn't be wisdom of God. It should be God's wisdom. Um, every manuscript we have, and a manuscript is the ancient papyrus, right? You know, the ancient written on Greek with ink. Every, every stinking manuscript we have, which is a lot of them, they all say God's wisdom. So for some reason, in modern English, the translators thought it would make more sense to say wisdom of God. Why am I making a big deal about this? Um, Robert Plummer, a famous scholar, said, when we read it, wisdom of God, it completely mars the sense, and it does, because we learned last week, what is God's wisdom? Who can tell me from last week, what is God's wisdom? God's wisdom. The foolishness, which is? Jesus. Yeah, that's, the answer is always Jesus. And so God's wisdom, which is the foolishness of the world, is Christ and him crucified. You could say Jesus, or you could say the gospel, and you would have gotten a point. Okay? So by the saying the wisdom of God, it sounds like God's mind, right? God's brain. But it's not talking about God's brain. It's talking about God's wisdom with a capital W, which is Jesus or the gospel. How do I know this is true? A, because Robert Plummer told me, but also look at the next verse, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. You see that? So God's wisdom is not just his mind, because he didn't decree his mind from the ages of glory. His wisdom is this thing that he decreed. What did he decree? From the ages, ages long ago, he decreed that his son would come and die for the world so that we would all have everlasting life. God de- this is not plan B, by the way. We sometimes tell the story or think of the story like God created the garden and his plan was it was going to be perfect, but we were in the plan and so Jesus is plan B. But that's not. It was always plan A. God's always from the foundations of the world planned for Christ to be crucified. You can think of all kinds of types and shadows in the Old Testament, can't you? Of pictures of Jesus crucified. The first one comes in Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, you remember Adam and Eve sinned. God came to them and says, what's wrong with you guys? Why are you hiding? Where'd you get those fig leaves? And they said, we're naked. And God, it says he killed an animal and he gave them animal skin. So we had to clothe them. So we have a killing of an innocent animal in order to cover their sin. Killing of a lamb in order to cover our sin. That's called the proto 
Evangelion, the, the, the first picture of the gospel where God says, look, I'm going to kill. And then he even says it. One day, the seed of the woman will crush the serpent's head. It's beautiful. I also can't help but mention the story of Abraham, who has a son named Isaac. What was he supposed to do with his son? God says, I want you to kill him. And Abraham says, let's go up the hill. And the little boy says, where's the, where's the lamb? And he said, the Lord will provide the lamb. And he lifts his sword to stick it in his son. And this is all a picture. You see it? A picture of God giving his son to cover for the world. And he tells Abraham, no, you don't have to kill your son. I was just creating this picture for the future world to see. It's, the, it's God's wisdom from the foundations of the earth. Isn't that exciting? All right, moving on. Verse 8. None of the rulers of this age understood this. Right? Obviously, they didn't understand that God's wisdom was found from the foundations of the earth and it was Christ crucified. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. More proof for why I'm telling you God's wisdom is Christ. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, no heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. That's a quote from Isaiah again. We, have, we do not know God. We just cannot. No one has even conceived of the idea that God would love us so much that he would separate himself in a sense to a third person or a second person to come down and be incarnated and die on the cross for our sins. It's inconceivable to our eyes, to our ears, and to our hearts. And literally, that word heart is the mind. Uh, the heart in the ancient world wasn't touchy-feely, oh, my heart. It, it's, it's the seat of your consciousness, who you are in your mind. All right, so we got the first part. God's wisdom is hidden. It, we do have a wisdom. It's just been hidden. But the good news is it's been revealed. Are you ready for this? Here it comes. Verse 10. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thought except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Interesting little couple of sentences here. First thing he says is these things, which of course refers to the gospel. God's wisdom, which is Christ crucified from the foundations of the world. These things, which we've never would have been able to conceive on our own, have been revealed to us through what? These things have been revealed to us through the Spirit. We are Christians not because we're smarter than everyone else. Not because we figured something out that they didn't figure out. Not because we studied it harder or we got a, a better education. It's because we have the Spirit who revealed it to us. It's the Spirit who reveals it. If it weren't for the Spirit, we'd all be lost. So we should praise Him, worship Him. And as evangelicals, we don't praise the Spirit. We are afraid of the Spirit. We don't ever even talk about the Spirit. I would dare say we don't believe in the Spirit. Evangelicals believe in the Trinity, but it's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Bible. We don't believe in the Spirit. We're afraid of them. And we have good reason to be afraid of them because as human beings, we always do this. We tend to swing. We swing. And so when the charismatic movement happened, we swung way away from that. Oh, charismatics, la, 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 la. And what ended up happening is we swung too far away, and now we don't even talk about the Spirit anymore. But I want you to know that I believe in the Holy Spirit, and I believe that the Holy Spirit is in you so that you can have power. <laughs> and we need to believe that and remember that in our lives. Um, and I also want to just, can I just take a side note? Let me just give you something. This is free. This is off script. Um, this is a powerful verse for the doctrine of inspiration. How do we get the Bible? That'd be a question people say. How, where does the Bible come from? It is, the Bible is God's revelation to us, revealed to us through the Spirit. The Bible is God's revelation through the Spirit. So the Bible was written by men, but it was not written by men. It was written by the Holy Spirit. And so I could, instead of quoting John, could quote the Holy Spirit. 
So I could do. The Holy Spirit says in John, I could say that. Let me tell you this. Everywhere in the Bible, when, when a prophet or a man speaks of God, it always, you'll hear this a lot of times in the Bible. It'll start off, and the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Abernathy, right? And the, Lord of, and the word of the Lord came to Moses, and the word of the Lord spoke to Isaiah, saying... So the prophets, when they would tell us what the word of the Lord is, there was no doubt in their mind it was the word of the Lord. It's not like you and I where we have a prayer. Although I would argue that I do have no doubt in my mind that it's God speaking when he does to me. But I think it's different when the Holy Spirit is moving Isaiah, moving Jonah, moving Mark to write his gospel. Does that make sense? The word of the Lord came to Mark, and Mark's like, oh, wow, this is God speaking, and I'm going to write it as he tells me, and it's going to be moved by the Spirit. In fact, Paul even differentiates at times when he knows that this is from the Spirit, and he knows that I'm not quite sure if this is from the Spirit. This may just be my opinion, but I'm going to put it out there anyway. Did you know that? Paul says that sometimes. This is from the Lord. And then he'll go, and he actually does it in 1 Corinthians. We'll get there. And then he goes on to say this other part. Was, this is not necessarily from the Lord, but it might be. <laughs> But I'm not going to claim it as from the Lord. I'm going to claim it from me. Let, let me read you a passage. Second Peter says this. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. We don't make this stuff up. <laughs> no human being would invent Christianity. It's just too foolish. It's too foolish. We don't make this stuff up. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit reveals this God to us. And more. Are you ready? And there's more. For the Spirit searches everything. Listen to this. Even the depths of God. The Spirit not only reveals to us certain things we have in the Bible, but the Spirit in some way is searching the depths, that part that's in the crypt, the hidden things of God, the Holy Spirit searches. And then Paul kind of goes on a seemingly like a philosophical rant here. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. So you and I have a spirit, not the Holy Spirit, but our spirit, our soul, if you will. Our soul knows what our mind is thinking because our mind and our soul are connected. We all have a body and a mind and a soul. And the only one who knows our mind is our soul. No other soul knows our mind. Does that make sense? Yeah, thank you. Thank you. So then Paul says this, which is pretty amazing. But in the same way, no one knows the mind of God except for his soul or his spirit. So his, God's spirit is inside of him, and God's spirit knows the mind of God. It's beautiful. Isn't that beautiful? This is a, yes, it is. This is a beautiful picture of the Trinity, in fact, because Paul goes so far to say that the Holy Spirit is God. Right? It is his soul. It is his spirit. And it is inside of him. So just like your spirit is inside of you and it knows your mind. So your spirit and your mind are connected. God's spirit and his mind are connected, which means your spirit and your mind are you. And God's spirit and God's mind is God. The Holy Spirit is God. And yet, he's a person who searches and knows God's mind. Isn't that awesome? It is. It's beautiful. And it's going to get even more beautiful. Because watch this. Verse 12. Now, we have received not the spirit of the world... But the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. So we don't have the Spirit of the world. Don't be tempted to think of the devil when you see that phrase. Because sometimes in the Bible it says the Spirit of the age, or the Spirit of the world. We're talking about demons and devils. Paul's not talking about the devil here. He's talking about human spirit of gaining knowledge, 
gaining power, gaining control, that spirit, the spirit of self, the flesh, you could say. We don't have that kind of spirit. Instead, we have a different spirit. Our spirit is the Holy Spirit, capital S, who is from God, so that we might understand the things freely given to God. Do you see how this is beautiful? God's message is hidden. No one can know it, but God's spirit knows it, and God's spirit Spirit knows the deep things of God that we could never know because God's Spirit is His Spirit, and His Spirit knows what He's thinking. And incidentally, that Spirit lives inside of you. So now you know God. Now you know the, and do you notice this word things? Have you seen it? You understand the things that have been revealed to you, freely revealed to you of God by God. So this word things, I don't know if you've noticed it or not. I've been highlighting it throughout the day. Dave, I'm sure you've noticed it. Here's, yeah. Here's just the last two or so verses that I read. Listen to it. These things God has revealed to us through his spirit, for the spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given. So why is Paul using the word things? Isn't he a little more eloquent than that? Um, <laughs> yeah, Maybe. But this word things is pretty powerful. It's the things of God. The beautiful, wonderful things of God. They're, they're so wonderful, all we can call them are, are things. Or to, re, to, say it, to say it the way I, I want to say it, is Paul starts off by saying, no eye has seen, no ear has heard the things of God. No one can understand the things of God, number one. But number two, the Holy Spirit searches everything and searches the deep things of God. Point three, you have that spirit living in you so that you've been revealed the deep things of God. You guys know who King Tut is, right? It's a side story. Um, King Tut was a pharaoh, a king, and um, he was buried in a tomb. You know, the, the, the pyramids are just tombs for the ancient pharaohs. And so archaeology, about 100 years ago, didn't know much about these tombs. And so they found King Tut's tomb, and and. It, and, and and, you know, those pyramids are just a maze. You get inside of it and you try to figure out, you know, where you're going and you don't want to destroy the whole thing. So they're picking away at certain walls trying to find the inner tomb of the inner crypt, if you will, of King Tut. And when they finally found it in 1920, what did I say, 2023, 20, they finally, you know, they found, when they found King, it took a month to actually get to the inner crypt. And when they finally got to the inner crypt in 1923, here's how it happened. They chipped away a hole in the wall. And they sent this man, I believe it's this guy here, Mr. Carter, they sent his head into the hole. And he's peeking inside the, the crypt. And like, what do you see? I don't see anything. It's dark in here. <laughs> it's hidden. Everything's hidden. Well, here's a, here's a candle. I guess he didn't have flashlights back then. So he puts a candle out there and he looks. And he's silent for a while. And everyone's talking, what do you see? What do you see? And Carter says, the only thing I could think of to say is things. Wonderful things. <laughs> And that has become one of the most famous lines in history. Things, wonderful things. You and I are Christians who believe in tales from the crypt. And all we can do is peek into it. The spirit that lives inside of us sometimes gives us a little taste, a little hint of it. And all we can say is things, wonderful things that God has in store for those who love him. Amen? They're just, we, don't, we, we, we still don't even know what they are. The spirit is within us to, to, to tell us the things that are being freely given to us by God. We don't even know what they are, but they're wonderful little things or big things. Here's a discussion question. The things of God are wonderful things indeed. If you have the spirit in you, you know that. 
What are the things of God that you find amazing and wonderful? Some of the things, this is a worshipful discussion. What are some of the things of God that you just, you have no words for? You're not, you wish you were a poet so you can describe the things of God. God will be saying, this is beautiful, it's beautiful. Well, for the sake of time, let me move on. I hope that that helps you to worship even more, to think of the wonderful things, wonderful things of God. So we talked about hidden wisdom, revealed wisdom, and Paul's going to go a little further and then we'll finish in this chapter. He says, we do impart this in words. And, and I really wish that the, the word was not impart, but speak, because that is the Greek word. The Greek word is speak. Paul's been talking about speaking, preaching, right? This is the kind of preaching he does. Um, this is the kind of preaching he doesn't do. And he says, so, so we have a wisdom. It's been hidden. It's been revealed to us by the Spirit. And because we have the Spirit within us, we do speak. We speak this wisdom, which is the gospel. We speak the wisdom. Speaking is always connected to the gospel. You always speak the gospel. You, you, you have to, sp- the gospel, the word gospel is evangelion, which means to speak, <laughs> to proclaim. You have to speak. So it's, even though I love this quote, a famous quote, you've heard it before, preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. You've heard that before? St. Francis of Assisi, I love it. I love this verse for a couple reasons. One is because Jesus said that they will know we are Christians by our love. So we need to have our actions speak louder than our words, and that is true. The other reason why I love it is because 99.9% of most Christians need to shut their mouth. Someone say amen to that. I mean, they, they, they should just shut up because they really make us look stupid, you know? They say the stupidest things. I could, go on, I could go on a sermon rant right now about the things that Christians say that just destroy the gospel in people's lives. So, you know, speak the gospel, and if necessary, open your mouth. You know what I mean? But please just keep your mouth closed. But unfortunately, Paul, and so I love this quote, but unfortunately, Paul and the whole of Scripture would disagree with this quote, primarily because the gospel is news. It's news, and you have to speak news. You have to say it. The gospel is always connected to saying. And, by the way, that's why we have the Holy Spirit primarily so that the Spirit will help us in what we should say. Let me me just show you. John says this. um, When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth so that he will not speak on his own but will tell you what he has heard and he will bring to mind what you should say, Paul says. Um, And so it's unfortunately that quote is a great quote, but it's not accurate because the gospel must be said. Why do I need to say that? Because it kind of chaps my hide a bit when people say, I just need to be a good example. Or I just need to, well, be a good example. I hear that a lot, still even to this day. And there's, there's, unless you're perfect, you are not a good example. You're not. Okay? If you think that your example is going to save someone, then no one's getting saved. And that is what a lot of evangelicals have thought, I think, in the past 20 years. You know what? I'm just going to, I'm just going to demonstrate my, the spirit that lives with me in power. Great, do that, but you got to say something at the same time. The gospel is news, and that news needs to be cleared. That's why I'm saying we need to get really comfortable with speaking the gospel in everyday normal rhythms of life. You know, here's your problem, here's your suffering, here's your struggle, here's how the gospel deals with that. If you believed in the gospel, you would understand this, and you'd have power to deal with it in your life, and it would be better than not having it. Does that make sense? All right, moving on. Off my rant. We impart spiritual um, wisdom, spirit interpreting spiritual things. Not taught by human wisdom. We're not going to use a bunch of human jargon and, you know, not going to philosophize it, but taught by the Spirit. Interpreting, here's a very deep verse, interpreting spiritual things to those who are spiritual. And again, here's that word things again. So what does that mean? 
It'd be tempting for people to think that there are people who are spiritual, and then there are people who are not so spiritual, and that would be a mistake. Let me tell you why. Because if you remember yesterday week, Paul has already made an argument about dividing the church up between Paul, Apollos, Peter, these different sects. So he's not in here in this verse trying to say there are certain people who are super spiritual, and because they're super spiritual, they get it. And all the rest of you people who are kind of not so spiritual, you don't get it. Because that would be the opposite of what he talked about last week, saying, no, 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 no. What he's saying here is different, and I'll, and I'll prove it to you. Because the contrast is a natural person against the person who has the Spirit of God. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. And he's not even able to understand them because they are spiritual. They're spiritual things. Another way of saying it is this. There could be two kinds of people in this room right now, or in any church context. And the pastor's preaching... And there's some people saying, oh, this is like drinking from a fire hydrant. This is awesome. Man, God is good. I just can't wait to, I'm going to have to listen to this two more times on the, online. This is great. And right next to that person could be someone saying, this is stupid. I don't even really see what this is all about. Because if you have the spirit within you, you understand spiritual things. And it makes, I'm not saying about my sermon right now. I'm just saying in general, okay? You might be tired and you might think it's stupid. <laughs> but, but if the spirit is inside of you and you hear spiritual things, you're like, this is good. Am I right? You read the Chronicles of Narnia, for instance. If you're a Christian, you're like, that's the most amazing book ever written by a human being. But you let a non-Christian read that book and like, eh, witches, lions. No big deal. Oh, it's amazing. You don't get it. You don't have the spirit. Those who have the spirit can get it. And he goes and say this. The natural man does not get it. What is a natural man? The person who's all natural. You like all natural things, right? When you, when you look at a label, what is it that makes it all natural? Now, you don't want preservatives <laughs> or high fructose corn syrup. Yeah, let's back away from this a little bit. Let's just save the preservatives. Because that's where I need, I need the word preservatives for my illustration. Okay, so... the. The all-natural man is a man with no preservatives. Walk with me on this. But you and I have a preservative. The Holy Spirit. You said it earlier. The Spirit is inside of us, and it seals. we're sealed by the Spirit. We're preserved by the Spirit until the day of, of, of reckoning, until the, until the end. We have the Spirit living inside of us, preserving us to the end, the perseverance, perseverance of the saints. So a natural man has no preservative, a spiritual man has a preservative, the Holy Spirit. Do you see it? All right, so I have to finish this. I realize how late it is. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? And here's the, here's the big whammy, and it's over. But we have the mind of Christ. That is the most awesome sentence. Do you see what Paul did in, in 16 verses? He started off telling us that um, there's a hidden wisdom that we could never, because tales from the crypt, we could never go there on our own. And it's been revealed to us by the Spirit, by the way, who lives in God. And by the way, that Spirit searches the mind of God. And by the way, that Spirit lives in you so that you know the things of God. And then he ends it by saying, not only that, but you have the mind of Christ, which is the mind of God, which is also the mind of the Spirit. Do you see the Trinitarian thing he did there? It is unbelievably gorgeous. You have the mind of Christ. And this is a powerful concept in all the New Testament. This is what Paul believes about conversion. When you get saved, the Spirit comes inside of you and gives you the mind of Christ so that you think like Christ, so that you are, in a sense, a little Christ. You're his brother and his sister. You are 
you are, in a sense, the incarnation or the body of Christ. Look, listen to what Paul says in Galatians. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I have the mind of Christ. Christ. The spirit of Christ lives inside of me. And the life that I now live in my own flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. See how he just put the gospel right at the end of that. The gospel is coming out of his mouth. He can't even stop it. I have the mind of Christ and the life that I live, I live for Christ because he died for me and gave himself for me. <laughs> Or here's Philippians, Paul again. He says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. He says, take the mind of Christ. Have the mind of Christ. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's a beautiful thing. So to wrap it all up and to focus us on, on Christ and communion, R.C. Sproul says, we, when we consider Jesus as the second person of the Trinity who became a person incarnated, we note instantly that any attempt to plumb the depths of his person we're actually stepping into the deep waters of the nature of God himself. See, even understand who Christ is, we see ourselves deep diving into who God is. Again, with the knowns and the unknowns and the known knowns and the unknown known knowns. He is, um, Hebrews chapter 13 says, the, I mean chapter 1 says, the brightness of his glory and the express image of God's person. Jesus is God and we have God's mind or the mind of Christ given to us so that we can discern, Paul says, all things. I hope that this makes you walk out the door living a different kind of life than you did when you came in. A life that glorifies Christ for sure, but a life also that remembers that Christ is in you and is in your mind and has given you wisdom that is hidden from the world that you have, which is the wisdom or God's wisdom. Amen? It's heavy, isn't it? Paul says, I'm not going to speak in lofty philosophical terms, but this was a big philosophical chunk. Um, but it's good. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we give you praise. We give you thanks. We give you glory. We give you honor. We give you worth. You are worth all that we are, all that we have. And you've given us more than we even understand. We even know. And we see glimpses of it at times. And we are thankful, thankful, thankful. We're moved with emotions.